everything you need in the morning. Local news, traffic, weather, guests, fun conversation, and you. It's Good Morning Westchester with Dennis and Tommy. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9, right here on 1460 WVOX. 1460 WVOX. They're playing basketball. We love that basketball. They're playing Hello, everybody. Welcome to College Hoops Chat. I'm your host, Jim Maysano. I'm here uh, in this time slot every Monday night. Uh, we talk about college hoops normally for the entire show, but uh, for the summer months, May, June, July, August, we are going to have an alternative um, format, which means we're going to talk about other sports besides just college basketball. We'll start with college basketball. We'll always talk about college basketball. Uh, but in the new format, uh, you'll hear some Mets, you'll hear some Knicks, you'll hear some pro and college football. All right, in the booth with me today, first time I've had somebody in the booth because we are in a pandemic, but now that we're both vaccinated, you know him as the legendary Kenny from Rye, who's now in the booth. Kenny, say hello. Hello, James. It's great to be here. Well, we're happy to have you in the booth for the first time, and you're going to learn the ropes in case I have to want to go on a vacation, you'll be in the booth and I'll be on vacation. Exactly. Just re- Ken just returned from uh, our branch office of the College Troops Chat Radio Show in Palm Beach, Florida. Yes, the Southern Chapter. The Southern Chapter. Thank you very much, Ken. All right, so let me just say one thing before we start. Um, death in my family this weekend. It was very, very rough on our family. Uh, my sister, Carol Ryan. Uh, Kenny knows Carol since grammar school. Uh, a, a wonderful person, a fun person, a real life in our family, and she is uh, up in heaven now with my mom and dad. Um, I just ask you if you could pray, uh, say a prayer for Carol Ryan. I would greatly appreciate it uh, from me and my family. So thank you very, very much. Um, on the show tonight, we have some uh, interesting guests. We have the young voices tonight, Ken. Young voices. Brian Adeshola Bada, a friend of mine from Twitter, who's a fan of the Tennessee Titans of football like me, and he's uh, a big fan of the of Memphis in college football and basketball. That's where Penny Hardaway coaches, the great NBA player, and he's going to call and talk a little bit about the Titans, a lot more about Memphis basketball with Penny Hardaway. And then at 8.45, to keep it in the family, my son, Michael Misano, the Gamecock, is going to call and tell us all about the Knicks and the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference in the NBA. He's taking, he's home taking notes. He's ready to go. All right, Ken, let's do our little college basketball, if we may, first, okay? Absolutely. Um, St. John's, the St. John's world, uh, I was a little nervous today when I went on Twitter because they saw the words, Champagne hires agent for NBA draft. So our friends who listen to the show, St. John's fans, they were nervous today. The good news is it's not Julian Champagny, uh, the excellent forward on St. John's, but Justin Champagny, his brother, who's at Pittsburgh. You know, they played for Bishop Lachlan. In his, so Kenny and from Ryan and I went to high school to get an Iona Prep, which is a very strong athletic program, stronger now than we were there. Uh, football, basketball, baseball, they're great at everything now. Um, they played against the Champagny brothers, our high school. They were at Bishop Lachlan in the Catholic High School League. Uh, could you imagine how they were? 
uh, in high school basketball with the Champagne brothers. You have to go back and look up the record there. Yeah, I think they made it to either the finals or the semifinals, and they. Uh, I think they might have lost to Stepanek, which is interesting. Yeah, and I think that I think the brother who went to St. John's was kind of St. John's first big get in the city in a long time. What was interesting about it was when they got him. So remember, Mike Anderson gets the job after uh, Chris Mullen quits, and the team was a little bit in chaos. Right at that point, there was a lot of bad media, a lot of press, uh, alumni unhappy with the whole thing. Well, um, some Mike Anderson was very shrewd. The first people hired coaches had all had New York roots. He's a Southern guy. He got New York co- assistant coaches. And they started, you know, running around the area saying, who's still out there? Now, this again, we're in uh, March, April right mm-hmm. now, right? Uh, when all this went down. So the, so most of the f- uh, best seniors in high school were already committed in college. So he went around and people were saying, Julian Champagny is pretty close to as good as his brother is, who was a big recruit to Pitt, but he blossomed more in his senior year. So that's why he didn't have all the offers. So they got him uh, because he was still out there because even though he's, he's as good as his brother, his brother was better earlier in their careers. And so Justin was a big recruit to Pittsburgh. St. John's got Julian, whose first year, he averaged 10 points a game, six rebounds as a freshman hmm. uh, under Mike Anderson with the St. John's Red Storm. Um, and last year, as you know, Ken, Kenny from Rye is a Providence fan. He attended Providence, but he knows the Big East. He knows... Julian Champagne, he's one of the best players in the Big East right now. Yeah, I mean, if I if I remember correctly, he came in and when Anderson got hired, I think he was only a two or three star recruit. So, yes. But the, the 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 genesis of it was that he got a recruit from the city that was going to give them momentum. Yes. And that was the big issue. Yes, and I also heard that he was somebody who was playing better and better in AAU and people were picking that up uh, for him. Yeah. Oh. You know, he was thinking of going to prep school because he didn't get any offers. It's kind yeah. of interesting how it worked out. He ends up not only going to... St. John's, but in his second year on the first team, Big East All-Star team. So it's a really good play. Anyway, Justin Champagny is going pro. He will not come back to Pitt. Devastating to Pitt. By far the best player. They were hoping that he was the guy who would come back and keep them relevant. They're in big trouble in Pitt with the Panthers. Uh, St. John's is waiting. What are they waiting? July 7th. That's the date. July 7th is the date, last date to pull out of the NBA draft. Mm. So... Uh, St. John fans, you're going to have to hang in there for another couple of months. We, uh, I, people do seem to think Julian Chapenny is coming back to St. John's. And with Posh Alexander, those are two nice players for next season. Um, so July 7th is the withdrawal date from the NBA draft. Anything on that you want to add, Ken? Yeah, I mean, as we talked about today, it's interesting how uh, college basketball has evolved when going pro. I think we talked about it. And when people say that, I think they look at more than opportunities of the NBA. They're looking at overseas and they're looking uh, specifically at Europe or they're looking at uh, Australia uh, New Zealand I know that firsthand from uh, a gentleman who went from uh, Providence College to the MVP of the New Zealand League and he's done that for the last few years Bryce Cotton is a wonderful shooter so um, going pro is different than it used to be it's it's not just going to the NBA so I think that people look at it in a broader spectrum so we'll see and people are a little bit more optimistic uh, it, it also could be a situation of taking themselves out as a transfer and then not having a place to go, so you say you're going pro. Right, right. You know, interesting thing about the opportunities around the planet now to play professional basketball, I would say about five to ten years ago, I would see a particular player had announced for the NBA draft, and I've seen that player play multiple times, and I would say that kid's not ready for the NBA. He's probably not even going to get drafted. And a lot of times that was the fact. 
they weren't get drafted. But what you it really has changed now. The kid who doesn't get drafted maybe goes to Europe or South America, uh, somewhere China now they mm-hmm. they play, um, and they can make a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars on year one playing professional. So it, you know you used to kind of laugh off some of these people that went to the NBA draft that should have stayed in college, but in reality. Some of them do have a shot to make a lot of money professionally pretty quickly. Yeah, and I think the two big leagues, and we're dating ourselves here, James, with, uh, if you remember, John Pannone from Villanova, he went over and never even attempted to uh, the NBA, as far as I understand. Uh, he was a hero in Spain for years, and he had the nickname, the, the, you know, what was in, translated oh, as I remember him. in Spanish. He's a good player. And yeah, I think he spent, it might be 10-plus years over there, making very good money, loved it. Uh, Danny Ferry did the same for, uh, I think, a year or two in Italy. So those two leagues are by far the strongest Spain in particular. Um, so th- those situations, there's real money there. There's real crowds, and those are real opportunities. As we, as you mentioned, though, there are some other leagues. I, I, let's, let's call them, you know, the next level down, if not two more, such as in Hungary, Poland, Greece. You've heard other names. As I mentioned, New Zealand, Australia. Australia's basketball is pretty good. So th- there are other opportunities to make a living. All right. Another issue I want to pop in uh, for college troops, Kentucky. Now, we know Kentucky every year. Uh, basically has been the one-and-done school, right? Most of the starting lineup was one-and-dones. Calipari's a fabulous recruiter. Uh, he's very good at preparing them for the NBA. He always had a good coaching staff to help them prepare for the NBA. Interesting, they're changing strategy. I just read an article from John Rothstein that said um, that the uh, Wildcats signed two players for the sole purpose they can shoot. What have you been noticing with some of the one-and-dones as freshmen? They weren't that good shooters. So he brought in C.J. Frederick uh, from Iowa, and he brought in Kellen Grady from Davidson, who are both you know, people that can shoot 35 40% from the three-point line. Uh, it looks like Calipari's waking up a little bit that the one-and-done isn't working anymore, and he might have to try things a little differently. Yeah. That, you know, what they refer to as the four and one, which is basically, you know, one guy underneath and then four guys standing out at the three point line is, is kind of the new new game a la Golden State. But um, looking at Kentucky, I mean, that's modernizing it to some extent, but at the same time also realizing he may not have the opportunity to groom these early players like he had in the past. And if you mentioned a couple of times where they would go overseas or play in, uh, play in you know, games here in the United States, enroll early. If they're not going to have that this year and there's going to be more restrictions or continued restrictions, again, it's very difficult to incorporate seven, eight new players, no matter how good they are. They no question. That, they found that out this year. Duke, Kentucky, teams that have at least of the last five years so really relied on the one and done. They struggled this year, mm-hmm. and they could struggle again next year. Who knows what the heck's going to happen with this virus in September and October. And, uh, I, mean, I, I, saw, I mean, if you go online, sometimes I see, you know, these kids – uh, that play college basketball, um, they're in the gym right now. They may not be like official, but they're in the gym every day. There's assistant coach on the floor with them. They play year-round. So I do notice they seem to all be playing now, unlike last summer where nobody played anything. So right now it's a little more normal, like a typical season. They're playing um, in the summer uh, after school ends, and they'll probably hopefully play in September and October. Uh, maybe college basketball will be a little more normal this year, but again, we don't know. With this virus. Yeah, and as you mentioned, I think it's interesting. If you take the seniors last year, those that you know were, were graduating from high school, they were shut down basically in the middle of March, which is some for some of them, their playoffs. And then a lot of them rolled into AAU and then summer leagues, and that was all shut down as well. So they basically went from March to October 
of really not playing organized basketball, and then the shutdowns that, that took place with regards to the you know inside the programs itself. So as you again getting back to those one and done programs and or any program that was bringing in a lot of people, it was very 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 difficult to to get incorporated. I agree. Last year. All right, next on my list of college basketball scoop flops when a, when a player uh, intentionally flops in a college basketball game. Uh, the officials have been notified by the particular committee that deals with this for the NCAA has wa- wants a technical foul called this year for flopping. How about that? I guess that's picking up on the NBA as well uh, as as the if they've learned from that. The NBA has obviously taken that to you know a, a much greater um, I could say penalty or looked at it uh, a lot more. So it's just I think a carryover from well, that. big difference between a personal foul and a technical. Yeah, absolutely, but I think it also kind of continues to uh, you know give the offense a big boost as well. You know, from a perspective of guys are going to be a little bit more cautious, you know, in in uh, in in taking that and charging foul. I guess you said that could be perceived as a flop. Okay, something to watch next year, folks. Flops will be a technical foul. Next, uh, my last point on college hoops, at least until we talk about Memphis a little later. Hartford makes the NCAA tournament, um, and they voted this week. To drop down to Division Three, the first time they ever made the NCAA tournament, uh, but it doesn't take effect to 2025, so there'll be a few years of a transition. Uh, the coach and the team decide to stay and continue to play for the school, which I was surprised at with the transfer portal. You would have thought some of them would have uh, left, but um, so here's what I want to say about this. I don't think Hartford's the first. What I read over and over again online in newspapers is that a lot of private colleges are in trouble right now. Uh, they're particularly after the pandemic, which actually made things even worse. They're having trouble getting students. A lot of students look the top Ivy League, near Ivy League schools. They're all fine. And the public schools are doing very well. The big universities, Kenny and I have talked about a lot of kids now from Westchester, uh, where they used to go to Northeastern small schools. They now want to go uh, to these big universities like my son, who's a South Carolina Gamecock. Uh, Kenny has uh, a daughter that went to SMU and a son that went to Northwestern. So a lot of kids from this region are really looking around the country for college now. Uh, so they're, they're north, a lot, particularly, I think, in the Northeast, a lot of these small colleges are in trouble uh, financially, and they may not fund sports anymore. That might be something they need to cut as they kind of balance their budget uh, to, to make it as a college. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're seeing here, and it was talked about actually in the pan, right in the beginning of the pandemic, those that were on kind of on the edge. Everybody talks that they think that sports, college sports, and Division One is just a windfall for every team. From a perspective of we see Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky, that it's a windfall, <clears throat> but it's not for the other you know ninety percent. And that goes the same in, in college football as well. So you see UConn drop their football basically down to I think it's going to go to one double A if not go away altogether. And so I think we're going to see this more and more. Hartford being a relatively smaller private school, uh, I guess obviously this year is very very difficult. And then just breaking it down to Division three and in Division three, as I know firsthand, there's no scholarships. Um, so it makes it very clear that if you can fund the teams, the coaches can recruit, but you just don't get a scholarship. Absolutely. So um, um, that'll be interesting to watch. I think Hartford is the first of a lot of schools that are going to drop out of Division one. We'll see. Um, all right, we're going to change subject now. We're going to go to our new format. We're going to talk about another sport. Now, let me tell you this. Kenny from Rye and I are Mets fans. And let me tell you about growing up in Westchester in the 70s as a Mets fan. Uh, the kids were cruel to us. <laughs> they were mean to us. The bulk of the fans were Yankee fans. 
So we're loyal fans here. We stuck with our Mets all these years, despite the fact we've only won one World Series since we were uh, in uh, uh, grammar school and high school together, because Kenny and I met in third grade. Mets hadn't, or had already won their first World Series in 69. But we, we, we got the 86 World Series, and that's about it. Although we did get two more shots at the World Series, only to lose. It was tough to be a Mets fan, but we're Mets fans. And what we're excited about is that the Mets look like, on paper, they have a very good team this year. They look like a playoff team on paper. They have the starting pitching. Seems like they have the bullpen. They certainly have the position players. They got a lot of people that can hit. They tried to make the defense a little better. I still think that's a flaw. But five in a row, Kenzo. I I used to call him Kenzo in high school, so not always Kenny from right. He's also Kenzo. Uh, Five in a row. They beat the Cardinals uh, two out of three, and they beat... The Diamondbacks swept them this weekend. They're 16 and 13. They're in first place, one game over Philly. Uh, the pitching uh, looks pretty good, uh, especially the bullpen over the last week. The bats are starting to wake up. Pretty excited to be a Mets fan right now. Uh, it's, the team looks great, and obviously, it's all all about the new owner from a perspective of setting the structure and setting the the right people in place in the front office. I mean, the lineup itself has not dramatically changed, as you say, except Lindor and there are a few other. Um, pieces that kind of are utility players. But I think the the big thing for them is, and this would might be great for the next few weeks to have callers call in and say, I was looking at this today. What's their move in July? You know, if they are, you know, first or second place, what's their move in July? What do they look for? Do they look for, you know, an all-star third baseman, you know, a really top flight outfielder, particularly center field, which they're struggling with. Um, do they continue to strengthen the bullpen? I, I think they're going to do something there. And I would love to see the callers come in and, and you know, give us a, give, give us a, free agency slash trade perspective uh, if, and what goes on with the Mets. But they look good now. It's a long, long season. And I wrote down on the, my notes as well that we don't want to see the June swoon from the Mets as we've seen the no last June few years. Oh, or, or anti-June swoon. Exactly. We've got three weeks, and let's see if we can avoid that this year. So Ken has recommended that we um, try to get a blogger who knows, you know, major Mets blogger on the show. So we'll look into that. I'll make some calls. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Friday night. Crazy baseball game. Uh, <laughs> almost something out of reality TV. So, um, the Mets end up winning 5-4 in 10 innings. But let me briefly tell you all, if you, if you don't know, how they got there. Seventh inning. Mets are down 4-2. to um, Shortstop, uh, Francisco Lindor. Jeff McNeil, the second baseman. Appear to be having a loud discussion, if not more, in the tunnel between the locker room and the dugout. Many of the players, and you can be seen live on TV, start running into the tunnel because there's some kind of commotion. Okay? But nobody really, despite a lot of big mouths on Twitter that immediately knew what happened, nobody knew what happened. All right? Two players were uh, discussing something probably loudly uh, in the tunnel uh, between the dugout and the and the locker room. Um, so... Let's just jump ahead. So the whatever happened there uh, happened, but we'll get back to that. Uh, in the bottom of the seventh, Lindor, apparently fired up from whatever happened in that tunnel, walks out, hits a two-run homer, and ties the game 4-4. Mets now got a tie game. And then in the tenth inning, in kind of a wacky fashion, they win on a walk-off fielder's choice by Patrick Masika in his first major league at bat who hits the ball right past the pitcher, who barely gets in his hand. They can't throw the guy out at home plate. Mets win 5-4. Really an exciting win. So the Mets go into the locker room. They're doing um, the press section. And the idiot 
Nets media. I'm going to call them the idiot Nets media. Here's Lindor hitting a dramatic two-run homer. You have this guy in his first at-bat hitting a fielder's choice to win the game. And the only thing the Mets media asked about is what happened in the tunnel. Nobody talked about Linder's home run. Nobody talked about the fielder's choice that won the game or the pitching that held the line through the game. The idiot Mets media only asked about it. So Lindor gets at the microphone, uh, which I thought was classic, and says, Oh, no big thing. I was debating with McNeil in the tunnel. Uh, we saw an animal in there. We were debating whether it was a rat or a raccoon. Now, the New York media was insulted by that because they think they were lied to. Here's what I say, Kenny from Rye. You know what? You don't have to know that, Mets media. That's something that stays in the locker room. If two players had a difference of opinion, it happens all the time. You don't need to be uh, know every single thing that happens in a dugout between players. I know the media wants to. You know why, Ken? It gets them clicks when they put it on Twitter and Facebook. But the media was an embarrassment. That didn't even ask, they didn't even ask Linder about the home run. He had to tie the game. So anyway, nobody knows what happened in the tunnel. Kenny from Ryan, I don't care what happened in the tunnel because both Lindor and McNeil hit very well this weekend after whatever happened in the tunnel. Listen, I played sports. Ken played sports. Uh, it's very common for two athletes to get into a conflict. And you know what happens? They yell. They, they maybe push each other, whatever it is. And then they hug it out. And they move on, and they're probably better friends than they ever were before. That's what happens between athletic teammates. So who cares? Kenny from Rye. Well, the, the big debate was he wanted to see a New York rat. Uh, and I was joking with you that this situation, I was watching it uh, on ESPN down in Florida. I didn't have local coverage. So I'm watching the press conference, and I, I still, at the end of the ESPN spot about the Met game, I still didn't know who won the game. Right. We're still talking about if it's a rat or a raccoon, and and then they're going, they're showing back the people running into the running into the alleyway, and I'm laughing that you know is it a New York rat or a raccoon? I guess a New York rat could be as large as a raccoon, but it, it, exactly. I mean, it, it, from a perspective of where the media focused that night. The national media, the national media stayed with the rat versus raccoon. And again, I didn't. Even, again, I did not know who won the, How the game after after the the spot when you didn't have local media. So it was entertaining from that perspective. Here's an interesting thing. Ready, this Ken? I prepare for the show. I went to look at the ESPN recap of the game, uh, and they never even mentioned the name Patrick Masika. <laughs> who hit the fielder's choice in his first major league at bat to win the game for? Now, how excited is this kid? Right, he gets called up from the minors. Never played major league. He get, and look, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but he hit he, he he hit the ball and got the guy from third to win a ball game five four in the tenth inning, extra innings. What a great moment for the kid! His name is not found in the ESPN article. <laughs> not surprising. Not surprising. You usually say everybody's looking for their their hit on Twitter, and everybody focuses on what I guess to some extent the national media will focus on, which is the New York Rat versus Raccoon game, which. Maybe maybe be the linchpin for them that uh, carries their season. You know what? Continue they, them to first place. If Rat first Raccoon keeps them in first place, fine with me. We'll take it. All right, Mets. Next series is with the Orioles starting tomorrow. Two games with the Orioles. They're playing home tomorrow night. And interesting on Wednesday. It's too bad I too bad I have a job because they have a twelve ten afternoon game, which will be a lot of fun to go to on Wednesday. Uh, and then this week they got Tampa, who's always a tough team to play. Mm. Um, so um, we'll get a Mets blogger here. We got a lot of good scoop. Uh, Tonight on the Mets, uh, we're excited about the Mets. Uh, Kenny from Ryan and I believe they are a playoff team. Agreed. And remember also, if you were a Mets or a Yankee fans, if you go to the game and you haven't had your shot, you get a free shot, PJ and J shot, and then a free ticket. 
Nice. Free ticket, free vaccine. <laughs> what, what? Can you get a better deal than that? So everybody get vaccinated. Kenny from Ryan and I are vaccinated. That's why we're together uh, in the studio tonight. Everybody should get vaccinated. All right, folks, we're coming up against our commercial break. Uh, so we appreciate tuning in and being part of the show. I think we're having a fun show so far tonight. It's fun to have somebody in the studio again. And uh, we'll be back after this commercial, commercial break. Talk to our friend from Memphis, Tennessee. We'll be right back. Westchester's favorite morning show. I love the morning show. Good morning, Westchester, with Dennis and Tommy. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9, right here on 1460 WVOX. 1460 WVOX. They're playing basketball. We love that basketball. Okay, folks, we are back. On College Hoops Chat, I'm Jim Massano, and in the studio tonight, for the first time we've had anyone in the studio since the show started, we started the show in a pandemic, is Kenny from Rye. Kenny, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's great to be in the studio. Chuck, are we waiting for our guest still? Okay, so waiting for our guest, Brian calling from Memphis, Tennessee. Hopefully he'll be calling soon. And then one of the things we're going to talk about with Brian uh, is the um, uh, Memphis Tigers, a college basketball program, which I have, I have to tell you. Can I literally tune in when they play, when they're on ESPN, just because their coach is Penny Hardaway. He was a, a really fun, uh, a really good player in the NBA. Uh, he was on the Knicks a little bit at the end of his mm-hmm. career. I think well, he, was, he was really good with Charlotte. Orlando. Yeah, or, Orlando. Orlando, that's right. Being Orlando. Uh, he was a terrific player. And, uh, you know, at one point he was one of the best players in the NBA earlier in his yeah, career. Yeah, uh, he's a numerous-time All-Star. And it's so interesting, his career, you know, out of, out of uh, the NBA, he, he took over. And if you remember, he, he was an AAU coach, or whatever they refer to it as now. And that's he went from AAU to, to college, not to, back to the pros. So his, his goal was to go to college to be what he is currently now, the head coach of a major program. Right. And one interesting thing about Penny Hardaway is that um, – he started kind of at the bottom in coaching. He wasn't someone that somebody said these former players want to go straight to head coach. Mm. He coached high school. He coached AAU. He really worked his way up, which probably made him a better coach when he got to be a college basketball coach at Memphis. And you develop the channels for recruiting, most importantly, so that you know that 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 road is is the road for college basketball. So if he was going to go to the pros, he would have been the third or fourth assistant or development, whatever it is, operations manager. But that's the best road for a college coach because you develop the channels and you have the, the, the channels for AAU and high school, et cetera. Right. So in case our caller uh, is having trouble with the number, let me put the number back out there. It's 914-636-0110. 914-636-0110. So the interesting thing about Memphis is that they won the NIT. And the NIT which when we were younger was a much bigger tournament because there was a point where there was only 32 teams in the NCAA tournament. Now there's 68. So when there was only 32 teams in the NCAA tournament, 
the big uh, the uh, NIT had a lot of really good teams in there. Normally, are tournament teams now that win a few games in the uh, NCAA tournament. Absolutely. I mean, from a perspective, it was even a little bit more interesting this year because in the past, it's kind of the people that didn't make the NCAs and anybody was five hundred because it was rather large. Uh, would get in and they play locally for a few rounds. This year they narrowed it down, so you had a much more concentrated field for teams that had basically good records or were kind of bubble teams to some extent for the uh, NCAA. So Memphis, as we've discussed briefly, uh, coming out of the AAC, you know, was definitely one of the teams that was on the bubble. Yeah, no question. And uh, one interesting thing about Memphis when I was looking, kind of learned more about them tonight, was that they lost in the finals of the American Conference Tournament 76-74 to Houston, who, of course, turned out to be a Final Four team, had a great run through the tournament. So it just shows you how good Memphis was. They finished 20-8. and They won the NIT. And they're probably a team that could have won a couple of games if they got in the NCAA tournament. Um, they went through the NIT pretty easily. They beat Dayton 71-60. They beat Boise State in a close game 59-56. But they were good, Boise State. Mm-hmm. Saw them play a couple of times. They crushed Colorado State ninety to sixty seven. It was also a good team. Yeah, that's a really and and a surprise they they got beat so badly. And then they had a strong finish in the finals of the NIT. They beat Mississippi State, who's good, SEC team seventy seven sixty four. So it's a a really good team, um, Memphis Tigers, and uh, uh, they they um, lost a couple of guys to transfer portal, uh, but they also brought some guys in from transfer portal. They have some big time freshmen coming in. So um, I think they're still a strong program. They're still one of the better teams in the uh, American Conference, which, uh, as uh, Ken likes to tell me, is a pretty good conference. He has a daughter at one of those schools, SMU. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was the kind of this, the, the, the division that was kind of a split from the Big East after football, after the, the non-football teams left. And you look at back over this year, and I've watched a, a number of the games just because of the SMU situation, and they were playing games early. The AAC played a lot of games, and they played early. So those teams were on TV while some of the other divisions made up their minds. And SMU was on a number of times. So I watched them play Houston. I watched Memphis play. And they, they were they were, they were were very, very good. And you know, Memphis has had some very, very good recruiting class. Houston does as well. SMU is has, has done a solid job as well. So those are three very strong teams, quote-unquote bubble teams. And their recruiting, their recruiting class this year is number one in the AAC and number 13 nationally. So they have a very strong team last year and another strong team coming in this year. All right, so we'll see about Memphis Tigers next year. Um, they've seen, you know, look, Houston's going to be good too. I mean, not, 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 they're not going to be good. They're going to be great. Yeah. I mean, their program has now gotten on the great level. Um, and that conference is interesting. You know, it's a shame UConn left because I think that conference was shaping up to be a potential power well, I just like to say Power Six because I put the Big East with the Power Five, but it could have been Power Seven. The American with UConn was, I think, heading in that direction. Mm-hmm. And they have bigger schools too, as you mentioned. They have a lot of state schools involved in that in that division as well, uh, so that they have the the bandwidth to not only play football, which they're interested in doing as a conference, but also fun basketball as well. So you, money is not an issue for any of these schools for the most part. I mean, it's not just so you have Wichita State, which has mm-hmm. been always in our always been a good basketball program. SMU, which is, is getting better. Another team that was off this year, but in our lifetime, has been terrific, is Cincinnati. Yeah. Cincinnati had some great basketball teams. And great coaches. And great coaches, too, right, that are now uh, at West Virginia mm-hmm. and UCLA. Yep. So um, UCF, UCF, University of Central Florida, has had some good teams. It's- Tulsa's always had some good teams. Yep. Um, you know, it's a, a Temple. Temple's had some great teams in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. That, that conference is interesting. Um, 
America, and it's just outside the power conferences. Though. Yeah, I mean, football drives their relationship from a perspective of that's why they stay together. But if you look at schools like University of Central Florida, who's made a commitment to being good in sports simply, and they're also a huge university. I think there's 40,000 kids there. It's one of the biggest schools in America. Yeah, in the country. It's just outside of Orlando. And so you're going to have a situation not only from a football perspective, but that does carry over. And as we said, these are big, big schools. SMU is a well-funded uh, state school. I know that every quarter. Um, so that um, you're going to have competitive teams. And I think, as you mentioned, Houston in particular has it's shown itself to be now you know, a, a top, perennial top 20 team. Right, right. And um, uh, that's an interesting conference. We'll see where it goes. I, I did probably a couple teams short from being a power conference, um, kind of like the Atlantic 10. Atlantic 10 just outside. Yeah, and a lot has to do with your TV contract. They they, they got lucky, and, I, and I, I can't remember how it was, but they were up early and running, and so their games were on as ESPN was putting anything and everything on TV while some of the other teams were getting their acts together. So those teams were on, and I think they were basically being very accommodating when they'll play, and I think that's the, kind of a little bit of their, their mantra as well from a football perspective as well. So my nieces went to the University of Central Florida, uh, my brother Keith's kids, and so I kind of glanced at them, particularly mm-hmm. in football and I'll tell you, over the last five years or so, they've had a terrific college football program. I think they had two D-backs drafted in the first two or three yeah. rounds. I mean, they're a team that every year wins 10, 11, 12 games. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's that kind of program now. Uh, they recruit very well. And uh, so we'll see. I, I think they might have just lost their coach, though. I think their coach might have moved to uh, maybe Tennessee. The football coach. Yeah, the football coach. I think you're right. Yeah, so. Which is right. a, co- a compliment to them. Go, go uh, University of Central Florida. All right, so... Um, Let's go back. Let's go. So I was going to talk with Brian if he called it. Unfortunately, something must have been wrong on a call. So I had thought a little about the Tennessee Titans. Now, Ken Nixon. Now, I know you're like, why the heck does my friend like the Tennessee Titans? Um, and it's been an interesting journey. So last year, uh, I always, I've, liked, I've kind of watched the Titans a few times every year. I started liking them. First of all, Derrick Henry is an absolute joy to watch in pro football. I mean, he is the best running back in the NFL, uh, and he is uh, a really good guy, a class actor. You see him interviewed and stuff. And the way he runs, which is kind of that old-school downhill running, you don't always see that anymore in the NFL. Uh, they block very well for him. They're well-coached. Um, it's been a fun team to root for the last couple of years. So last year, I, I, I was at both the, the Jets and the Giants were 0-5. I mean, New York was 0-10. And I finally said, that's it. I need another team that actually wins a football game. So I officially made the Tennessee Titans uh, one of my top three teams. Uh, and I've had so much fun rooting for them. I had to get the NFL package to watch them on Sunday. Uh, but they have an excellent quarterback. Tannehill's an excellent quarterback. A.J. Brown's a terrific wide receiver. you got Derek Henry. you got a good offensive line. Defense, not so great last year. It was up and down. Had some good games. Had some poor games. Um be interesting to see how they are this year. They got their core three back. You know, it's a little bit like the old uh, Laker teams, you know, where they had like Kareem and Magic and Worthy. They had their big three. They got a big three. Tanny Hill, Derrick Henry, and A.J. Brown. Have you ever watched the Titans play? Yeah, I've watched them a number of times. I mean, from perspective, they've been good now for, you know, very good for two years. And I think Vrabel's an interesting coach because, you know, this is the there was the criticism of, of Gaze and the Jets is that he coached a system, not a team. And I think Vrabel coaches the team, not a system. So he looks at the personality he has, and he doesn't have Mahomes. He doesn't have Rodgers. He doesn't have a Tom Brady. So he has to look at what he what he has and what he can do. What he can do. So he had a great offensive line. He knew that. And he had Derrick Henry. And he knew he could, he can run the ball, obviously. And with a better line, he can run it a hell of a lot better. 
and then don't put your quarterback in a position where where he has to come either you know back from being down twenty points or from a perspective of making him throw the ball fifty times a game with not not enough receivers and he's not a quarter he's not a, he's not a Patrick Mahomes he's a, he's a good quarterback. Mike says, Ken, I may need to turn you into a Tennessee Titans fan. You can have them as your third team. Do you have a third football team? I, I did. I'll do you one better, just like you. I think we were talking about it when the Jets and the Giants were both zero and four, zero and five, and I think that it was the end of the game. I I threw something at the TV. And I just went on Amazon in order. I just I did you one better. I ordered a Kansas City Chiefs T-shirt. And so oh, okay, that, well, that's that, a pretty that, good team to go. That, yeah, exactly. I just jumped. I jumped right yeah. to the front. Yeah, a little bit of a front runner status. <laughs> I went a little lower than that. I was early on Mahomes, though. I was early on Mahomes I two years Mahomes. ago when he lost to Pittsburgh. I said this guy was a superstar. Although, ironically, uh, last year it was the Titans versus the Chiefs in the finals to go to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a good game. That was actually a very good game. The Titans got out, I think, to a little early lead, and the Chiefs did one of their great comebacks. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a matter of, and I think Vrabel knows, just don't keep giving the court, the the uh, ball back to Mahomes because if you do, it's just the law of averages. You're going to lose that battle. And so it was a possession game that he tried to right. know, pull it out. And, and again, coaching coaching the player is not the system I like. I don't think teams want to play Tennessee in a playoff game because Derrick Henry always has the possibility of taking over a game. He did that. In the prior game last year, 2019, when they beat the Ravens, who I think had the best record mm-hmm. in the AFC that year, mm-hmm. uh, they beat the Ravens. Ravens didn't know what hit them. Uh, you know, Derrick Henry just kept running. They couldn't stop him. They couldn't get the ball back. You know, they couldn't get Lamar Jackson. Couldn't get the offense rolling because of Derrick Henry. This year, the opposite happened. Uh, they played the Ravens again. The Ravens. Lamar, Lamar Jackson had like this epic all-time game, including a 60-yard scramble. Uh, that he where he ran like an obstacle course all around the Tennessee defense to score a touchdown. Although uh, Tennessee had the ball to win the game, yeah. At the end of the game, was, yeah. they're good. All right, so you got the Chiefs, I got the Tennessee Titans. We're all set with our third team. All right, folks, go to commercial break. We come back. The next call will be Michael Massano calling uh, into the College Troops Chat Radio Show. We'll be right back. With radio's favorite morning team, Dennis and Tawny, and Good Morning Westchester. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9, right here on 1460 WVOX. 1460 WVOX. They're playing basketball. We love that basketball. They're playing basketball. Okay, folks, we're back on College Hoops Chat. Um... My favorite radio station, WVX. We have Kenny from Rye in the studio. We're having fun tonight, uh, chatting about all these sports issues. And now on the phone line, we have my son, Mikey Masano. Mikey the Gamecock, are you there? Hi, Dad. Yes, I'm here. All right. It's great to have you. Uh, so the first question that Kenny from Rye wants to ask you, go ahead, Kenny. How does, how does one who lives and growing up in New Rochelle become a 76ers fan? Unfortunately, I know um, the answer. Okay, so when throughout for a lot of time, like in middle school and high school, my dad was not too into the Knicks, so I didn't really have a lot of presence to be a Knicks fan, and I didn't want to be accused of being a front runner 
So in 2015, I started rooting for the 76ers because they had the worst record in the league. All right, that's a pretty good argument. That's good, and they had the tank. They had the tank formula too. That was the tank. That was the you know the the uh, tank to whatever you know, and ended up yeah, being so too, that, too long. That year was when they got um, Ben Simmons. When they went ten seven yep. next in that draft, they got Ben Simmons. That's right. Was a very important. And then they and, and then they down. kind of moved slowly with with Embiid. So you 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 have suffered it out. Trust the process, mm-hmm. Mike. Trust the process. Yep. All right. So it's okay. You're uh, a seventy six fan, Ken. He's referring that I used to be a New York Knicks season ticket holder, and I gave up the season tickets because of a man named Isaiah Thomas destroyed the Knicks franchise and left them a mess that's finally getting fixed all these years later. And that's a good lead-in to our next section uh, of the show with my son, Mike Misano, and that is uh, the New York Knickerbockers under Thibodeau, former Van Gundy and Riley assistant, are relevant again. They're right now a playoff team. What do you think of that, Michael Misano? Um, so the Knicks rebuild is finally seeming like it's coming to fruition, which is really exciting for Knicks fans because, you know, they've suffered through some, some pretty bad seasons. Um, and they're in like, they're in a really good spot right now. Um, they're almost, you know, it's not, you know, they don't have it locked, like clinched yet, but they're very close to being able to say that they are not going to be playing in the play-in. I think they would have to lose out in order to end up playing in the play-in. So that, that alone is, is great for them. And I, what I like about the Knicks' last four games, obviously they have one road game against the Lakers, and that'll be a tough one. Because uh, I'm just hearing, Mike, uh, that LeBron is going to be back for that game? Um, so he's, he's listed as questionable. I, I saw one article that said that um, he was going to return. I saw another one that said um, he was questionable and they're not sure about bringing him back yet. But if, if LeBron comes back, that's going to be a hard game. You know, Anthony Davis has been on a tear recently. He dropped 42 last night and then 32 in the game before that, so or 36 in the game before that. So he's just been on fire. So that would be a really tough game for them. Uh, their next game after that is the Spurs. Um, I mean, the Spurs on paper, I mean, I think they're a worse team than the Knicks, so they should be pretty good there. Um, but, I mean, the Spurs are going to be hungry. They're in the 10th seed right now. They're fighting to stay in the play-in because uh, they only have a game and a half on the Pelicans, so that, that could be really close still. I look, Mike, I would rather play a team that's clinched than a team fighting to play in. The, the play-in team scares me more. Yeah, because, you know, they're really fighting for seeding, and for them it's a lot harder. All right, so. You know, the play-in the play is very complicated. You know, you, you have to win a lot of games. Yeah. All right, so tomorrow night, uh, the Knicks have the Lakers. That should be a lot of fun. That's gonna be fun. I'm going to watch that game. If you're home, Mike, we'll watch it together. Um, Kenny from Ryan, if you can stay up that late, it might be a fun game for you to watch as an old Knicks fan. Um, then we got um, San Antonio, one of the greatest coaches in history of the sport. Um, but, the, but the good news is the last three games are home. That's the best news for the Knicks, I think. Three home games. Uh, they're starting to let more people in the arena. Uh, Madison Square Garden can get very loud. As you know, Michael Masano, because we used to have season tickets for the Rangers, we've seen MSG on fire. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's very big for the Knicks that um, their last couple games are home. Uh, especially because they, they really want to win these last couple games because they want to keep the four seed. They really want to keep the home court advantage over the Hawks. Theoretically, that's who would be in that spot right now. What do you uh, think of the Hawks as a team? I know it's like Trey Young and nine other guys that's get, that average more than 10 points a game. Uh, so they have a lot of guys in the rotation. The Hawks? Yes. Yeah, the Hawks are a very, a very deep team. They have a lot of players who score. 
I mean, right now they do have DeAndre Hunter's been out for a while. He's returning. And then Cam Reddish is out right now, too. They're not sure when he's going to be back. Um, the Hawks have an interesting season coming up, like, for the last couple games. They're playing the Wizards twice, who have been on fire recently. They've been winning everything, and, like, all their players have been putting up crazy stat lines. They've been playing really well. Um, and they're also fighting for seeding, so, you know, they really need to be winning those games. But there might not be Bradley Beal. Uh, right now, it says he's going to be out probably at least two games, so that would be both of those games for the Hawks, and that would, that would be big. They would probably win both of those games. And then their last two games are the Magic and the Rockets, who both aren't that great, and the Hawks should beat. So I'm, it kind of looks like they're going to go 4-0. and So if the Knicks want to keep the home court advantage, they have to go at least 3-1. and Okay, you just scared me. So you're telling me that the road in the final four games is easier for the Hawks uh, than the Knicks, who are only separated by one game right now? It's significantly easier. The Hawks Ooh. probably have one of the easier remaining schedule, probably the easiest remaining schedule in the league because when they're playing the Wizards, they don't. The Wizards don't have Bradley Beal as their second best player. Is a huge chunk of their scoring missing, um, right. and that's for two games. That the average is like over thirty best. points a game, right? Yeah. So, and then they have the Magic and the Rockets who haven't been impressive all year. All right. So. That's kind. That's so the Mets kind. could add uh, I mean, the Mets. The Knicks. I uh, have a tough role. Just, look, just go win the darn games. You know, if they win it. If that, look, I think they could win three. Uh, let's go beat the Lakers tomorrow. How about we Knickerbocker fans say we're going to go out and beat the Knicks? LeBron or no LeBron, we're going to go out and beat them tomorrow night. Well, I mean, they, don't you think, that, I mean, from a perspective of when they come back to the Garden, I mean, you're going to have a situation that we haven't had in how many years now. It's, it's basically the playoffs when they get back. That's that's what the environment's going to be. Everybody realizes they're going to be playing for a spot, so they're they're going to be desperate to keep that fourth spot and not have to play the Nets or the Sixers or even the Heat, which they've had problems Absolutely. with Because too. Because, look, well, Mike, we could, yeah, Mike, we other, could, I think, agree, right, that in a seven-game series, the Knicks can certainly beat the Hawks. It's possible. Definitely. I spe- especially if they have home court advantage, I think they probably do win that series. Um, I, I just think that they're a more complete team. They're a lot better on defense. Um I don't know. I, I feel like Trey Young, you know, he's never played in the playoffs before. Um, but neither are most, most of these Knicks players. Um, I, I do think that, you know, defense always usually comes out as being very important in, in um, the playoffs. I agree. And the Knicks are probably one of the best defensive teams in the league. So that, that'll be big for them. So we're going to have a lot of battles in the house if the Knicks win the first round of the playoffs and defeat the Atlanta Hawks. Because the next team would be the Philadelphia 76ers. And I believe in our house, we have fans of the Knickerbockers and the 76ers. Isn't that true, Michael? Uh, yes. Um, you know, the Sixers have to win in round one. They're going to play against probably either the Celtics, Hornets, Wizards, or Pacers. Um, I feel pretty comfortable in saying that the Sixers should beat any of those teams in a seven-game series. Um, I, I mean, I hate... Hate to say that I would. I would also say that the Sixers should be pretty comfortable if they see that they're playing the Knicks in the second round. I, I'd be very shocked if they. Listen, I agree. You can't it. not agree with that. But I would just say this: in the regular season games, particularly later in the season, the Knicks held their own against 76. 76 is one, but the Knicks played them tough. They did. Yeah, those were some of our harder, hard-fought wins. Uh, we're against the Knicks. The Knicks are a very gritty team. That'll be big in the playoffs. All right. So we're gonna have a. We're going to have quite some nights in the Misano house with the 76ers versus the Knicks. 
Hey, and Michael, yeah. I think also, don't you from a perspective of, you know, who knows what the Nets are from a perspective of, you know, who's going to show up in the playoff time. I assume they're trying to, you know, get there. But as you said, defense wins, uh, particularly in playoff games. So you, you, you've got to look at the Sixers as just a, you know, a, a strong, strong favorite coming out of the East at this point. I've got to think, as you say, I don't think there's any team there that scares them except the Nets in full force, full health. Um, I think I think that the Bucks also. I feel like people when they're talking about like the contenders in the league, they leave the Bucks out. Oh, I, 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 I think the, I think the Bucks are a scary, scary team. I think Drew Holiday has, his entire career he's been a great playoff performer. He's a really gritty guy. He's the exact kind of player you want on your team in the playoffs. And they added him to their roster with Chris Middleton, Giannis, and a, you know a bunch of other great role players. I, I think they're a, a good team in the playoffs, and they could do some damage. You know, I stand corrected. Giannis finally figures out how to play playoff basketball. Yeah, and I and I stand corrected on the back of his. I was thinking up and down ninety five. I forget we go as uh, all the way to Milwaukee. 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 <laughs> Michael, one last point I want to make, and then I think we're going to hit the uh, the, the end of the show. Um, you know, I really thought when the season started, obviously the Sixers and the Nets and the Bucks looked great on paper, but I would add the Heat right up there on paper with them after their great performance last year. What's uh, holding the Heat back? They certainly are probably six or seven games less than they should have won this year. Um, I think that's. I actually think that's a really good point. The Heat actually just tied with the Hawks, so you never know that if they have if they play better towards you know down the stretch, you never know the Knicks might be playing the Heat in the first round. Okay, that's uh, a very good point. All right, Michael, fabulous job. You have a great voice for radio. I see a bright future for you. <laughs> thank you. All right, thank you, Michael the Gamecock. Kenny from Rye, thank you so much for being in the studio. Hope you had fun. James, it was great being here. Much appreciated. Great fun. All right. Kenny from Rye, Michael Misano, Jim Misano, saying goodbye from WVOX. Carl Chupchat. See you next week.